the reason why most people don't follow their dreams is fear. It is paramount for every single one of us that we can reverse this imbalance of knowledge. The best way to live a fulfilled life is to remain curious. In this episode, I'm talking to George Bullard. I met him at the Independent School Show. He is an amazing guy. You're going to love this episode. Let's jump into it right now. Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by me. I'm Simon, and I run the Bonjour Agency. If you work in an independent school, then this is the podcast for you, where we don't talk about work, but we do talk to people in the independent school sector. It's fun, it's fascinating, it's fabulous. So let's jump into it. George, good morning. How are you doing today? Morning, Simon. I'm so well, thank you. How are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Just for the sake of anyone listening, we were laughing before we hit record because I'm literally stood outside the MOT test centre because uh, my car uh, unexpectedly um, alerted me to the fact that it had run out of MOT. So here I am uh, getting the MOT done last minute and talking to you because we had this booked in. Uh, now, George, we met each other at the Independent Schools Show in Battersea in, was that October? I think it was. Um, tell me what you're actually doing there. So yes, you're absolutely right, Simon. We met. You came marching over to me with a you know huge camera and a massive microphone, and I was there um, with a with a campfire, uh, surrounded by I think we had maybe thirty kids at the time, all praying praying to get hold of a marshmallow, um, to to roast on the campfire, and then there was probably another group of people who were you know busily making uh, catapults, flinging uh, small five millimeter ball bearings into into a target area. So it was a completely safe environment and no one had anything to worry about. <laughs> but uh, that's where we met and that's what I was doing. I was working with um, with uh, Bonus McFarlane who uh, run something called Camp Bonus, uh, which is all about taking, taking kids uh, outside. Uh, I was basically representing uh, them and their efforts to re-engage young people uh, with uh, the outdoors and with nature. Uh, George, I appreciate you being here, especially nine o'clock on a Monday morning. Uh, how's your world looking at the moment? What's going on? Well, my world's looking great. I'm currently looking at, at, a, at a, a beautiful person, Simon, standing outside an MOT centre, um, waiting for his, his car to be serviced. Um, but everything's really great. I've had a great morning. I had a lovely breakfast with a, client, a coaching client of mine. And uh, things are going really well, thank you. And I'm excited about Christmas. I don't know when this will be. you'll be listening to this, but we've got Christmas around the corner. So nice festive holidays with the family. It's not long to go, just a few days until we've got that. George, tell me about this. You On your website, you describe yourself or someone's described you as being a world record-breaking explorer, endurance athlete and motivational speaking. Should Bear Grylls be worried? <laughs> so good. Well, uh, Bear and I get on very well and he's got nothing to worry about. Uh, so no, he shouldn't be worried about, about anything because uh, it's a very small community what we do and I'm full of admiration and support for everything that he does as well. Okay, but you know, you actually know Bear Grylls then, do you? Yes, yeah, I know him very well. All right, okay. Wow, that's pretty awesome actually. I had no idea at all about that. Uh, so just tell us in a snapshot about, about what you've been doing for your life up until now. Short snapshot, I've been doing, I'm a world record-breaking explorer, as you said, uh, doing it for 20 years now, since I was 14, when I first realised the power and enjoyment and beauty of the great outdoors and challenging yourself in in ways that, that uh, maybe wouldn't be apparent to another 14-year-old. And um, 
I've done that for 20 years. I've learned to commercialize everything that I have through uh, giving talks to schools, businesses, uh, anyone who'll pay me and listen, which is quite fun. I love it. I also coach. I also am very passionate about getting young people outdoors and in touch with nature once again. So how did you get into this in the first place? I mean, who introduced you to, to the great outdoors? I mean, I was I born and brought up in Norfolk in East Anglia, which is a pretty rural um, place. And um, given that the county has got no motorways at all. <laughs> um, and so I've had a rural upbringing, but I think my real first connection with the outdoors really probably came from an inspiring teacher at school who put me on to uh, and got us, a group of us who are very keen swimmers, involved in um, various challenges throughout our school career. So it's interesting that you mentioned about inspirational teachers, because so often I speak to people who work in schools, maybe they're, you know, head of geography, head of drama, head of head of whatever department. And I always ask them how they got into their subject in the first place. And virtually every time it comes down to them having an inspiring teaching or an inspiring teacher. Tell me a bit about the connection then that you have with schools, what you actually do for schools and, and why you do that as well. So in the same way that we have inspiring teachers, I, I would love to hopefully inspire one or two people myself. And therefore, my connection with schools is multifaceted, I'd go as far as saying. Um, predominantly, I give a, a lot of talks. Um, so I... Uh, stand up in front of an assembly or a prize giving, for instance, and uh, talk about um, whatever's on the cards, like resilience or adventure, inspiration, uh, failure, risk, teamwork, all of these great things that that, that are soft skills that aren't necessarily taught uh, in a classroom. Um, Or even reconnecting with nature and the importance of stepping outside a little bit and fresh air and all these fun things, even down to the sort of more geographical subjects, like what's it like living in the Arctic or Antarctica? And what do your clothes look like and feel like? And what's it feel like to be inside a tent? And I put up a tent in the school and people sort of get in it and feel and look around it and play in it. And it's great. So talks is, is a good one. Um, I'm also, I also love taking, taking people, families uh, and schools on little adventures. So I run a, uh, so a sort of adventure camps, I'd go so far as saying, but they they are essentially a, a short snapshot into the outdoors and adventure and and getting you know dirt under your fingernails and, and they really vary from doing short kind of fun, uh, you know, intriguing and curious uh, sort of navigational things around the playground, all the way to you know teaching kids how to safely. Uh, operate and live around a campfire, use a knife, maybe even we go as far as teaching them how to um, how to pluck a pigeon and prepare the pigeon breasts for cooking, like like a chicken breast for cooking. So there's a few things there that I love working with schools. So that's pretty awesome then that you engage the children to do that kind of thing in places in the UK. But I'd love to know more about these expeditions that you've been on in the past. You mentioned about the Antarctic. Actually, funnily enough, I was talking to someone on another podcast a few days ago about the Antarctic, uh, someone called Tim Jarvis. He's living in Australia and he's done quite a bit of work in the Antarctic as well. What, what's it like out there? What's it like out there? Gosh, uh, it's a huge question, Simon. I think to summarise what it's like out there, uh, I think it's very hard to 
describe what the vastness and the magnitude of this place feels like because it's it's so big and uh, so uh, so unrelenting that you feel so vulnerable and so small and so insignificant and so powerless uh, whilst you're surrounded with this huge open expanse of nothingness there's nowhere to escape from the weather there's no nothing to hide behind or shelter in to escape from um the you know the, the mighty uh power of mother nature and i think that's probably my overriding feeling of, of awe and respect for the outdoors and and I and for that and for all those feelings of vulnerability and insignificance that it makes me feel, I I love it so much. And I think it's a so important for everybody to feel a little bit of that. Because I think we, we live as humans in such a controlled, rectangular, in a controlled environment, surrounded by right angles and straight lines and everything's on shelves, ordered in height order sort of thing. Um, and I think that the Mother Nature throws all of that in the bin. Do you think we need a bit more chaos in our lives then? A, uh, a bit more chaos. I think we're getting that uh, in various ways. Um, but I think a certain amount of risk and adventure and the unplanned and uh, and the and maybe the gratitude for all of the the planned things that we have in life, so that when I don't know the train's a bit delayed or. Our flight is it doesn't going to get us there on time. Of course, it might be a problem, but it's it's not a disaster. And the the anger that and the 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 stress that we all feel inside maybe has come from a place of order, and we haven't had enough disorganisation to be happy with a tiny bit of disorder. Yeah, I, I like the way that you put that because it reminds me actually of, of a friend of mine who was flying from LA to London to meet up with me. And then last minute, his flight got changed. He had to stop in New York for 24 hours. And he started off thinking, oh, it's a real pain. I don't want to be in New York for 24 hours. And then he thought, well, hold on. I'm going to be in New York for 24 hours. What can I, what can I do in New York for 24 hours? What a great opportunity, actually. Well, what would a lot of people do to have 24 hours in New York? And now I've got it given to me on a plate. So let's go and use it. That's exactly what he did. That's fantastic. You're so right. There's opportunities that, that come from these, these uh, I guess, misfortunes. And I think if you can focus on those and use those to your own benefit, you're in a much better place to to live a, a fulfilled, I guess, peaceful existence rather than a stressful, anxious one. OK, tell me where else in the world you've been then. So I've done a lot of work in the Arctic, too. So on the north of the, of, the, of, uh, of our globe, uh, up in the freezer there. I hold a few world records up there for the, the longest unsupported polar journey in history. So uh, well, the longest fully unsupported Arctic journey now. Um, that's well. There's a record that I set when I was 19. Um, Sorry, you were 19 when you when you set that record. How did that feel at the time? Because I mean, most people when they're 19, they're more focused on just going out to the pub to have a few drinks with their friends and that kind of thing. You're out there breaking records. How does that feel? Well, I mean, very kind of you to ask. I'm. It felt quite extraordinary if I was if I'm really honest um, and pretty weird because you're so right. I was looking. I was looking at um, my peer group and my friends who were all having a you know fabulous time partying and meeting loads of people and um, traveling in the warm, lovely climbs. And uh, there was me with um, with one other bloke who I'd only met twice before. Um, and we were on an ice cap and we hadn't seen another human. We didn't really know that 
humans were even still alive outside of our seven and a half meter squared tent that we lived in for 113 days. Um, and uh, so I, I think I'm obviously very proud. I feel very proud to to have done this and set my mind to achieving this. I think that gives a sense of pride. But I think also in a strange way, it's on the flip side, it, it's really given me a deep sense of, um, of disconnect in a strange way that I've had to work very hard to overcome because however long I speak to you and talk to you and show you pictures of what it felt like to be there, no one will really ever understand what it was like on that trip to run out of food. No one will really ever understand what it was like to live with the same guy you've met twice before in a tent to crap to you know do all of your all of your life everything you can imagine in the same space as someone you've never met before no one will ever really understand what it takes mentally to get up every day for 113 days look at at white nothingness focus on a compass follow a bearing for um for just under one and a half thousand miles and i think it's in a straight, I had to overcome this feeling of disconnect and um, and misunderstanding, um, uh, and sort of hold that pride close to me and know that know that I have that in me, um, but not overstep the line of of confidence and arrogance. I think that's a very fine line. So there's a very delicate sort of sense of emotions. So how do you actually cope in that, you know, that, that, that sensation of isolation? I'm, I'm just imagining that the nearest human being to you must have been, well, apart from the guy that you were with, must have been a long way away. I think you're right. At times, he must have been on, on the space station, I'd go as far as saying. Um, I think, wow, gosh, what, what do you do to handle that mentally, physically, uh, emotionally? Uh, I, I think you could do an entire talk a full hour on the skills and the and the um, the things you go through and how I handled them. And I, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm I wasn't I wasn't tall. I didn't sit in the lesson and I didn't sit in the lesson and be taught all these skills of, of how to do this. Um, but what I I think what I had uh, crucially is a, I have is a very small brain. I think that's key. Um, and what that afforded me was the space to not think too much because primarily I think as soon as you start thinking, overthinking the situation that you've got yourself into, which is at times pretty desperate. I mentioned earlier briefly, we ran out of food, one of the three key ingredients for life. Um, I think if you start to overthink these things, you really can get yourself into a real uh, really bad situation where actually your life suddenly becomes at risk, whereas before it might not have been at risk. So I think what I've done to handle all of these things, if I had to summarise it down into probably one thing, I think I've developed a pretty unique uh, ability to bring all of the crap, all of the echoes and all of the stuff that goes on around the outside, around the peripheries, and to focus in on the here and the now and not think too much, as I said, about my situation and about how uncomfortable, how sore, how long, how much further, uh, what's around the corner, what does tomorrow hold? The weather could be bad tomorrow. I could die tomorrow. 
Um, and focus in on the here and the now and think I'm grateful for the food, the water and the warmth that I've got right here, right now. Uh, and what's in the in the future, I will handle when it appears. Now, gratitude, you mentioned that, is a bit of a bit of a buzzword right now. Tell me your thoughts on that. Well, I'm glad it's a buzzword right now, but I, I, I'm always concerned with buzzwords that they come and they go and some of the buzzwords really need to stick around for a lot longer. And gratitude, I think, is one of them. Uh, I really hope it does stick around for a, a, as long as, uh, as it can with people. Um, I love the idea of ch- a choice. Every day, we all have many choices about how we respond to situations, how we get out of bed, what mood we're in. And we all have a choice and we can turn that on and off. That's totally our choice. No one else can affect you on that. That's You are totally in control of that. And gratitude is one of those things that I think we can practice a lot more of because it will, it, it gives us an incredible perspective on just how fortunate we are. Um, you know, even just listening to, to me and you and our dulcet tones means that we have the ability to you know, uh, listen to other people. We have a huge amount of freedom of when we're listening to this. Uh, but more than that, we are probably warm and comfortable. We've got maybe clothes, clean clothes on our back. And that's something which we, we lost sight of. And it all just happens. And when the washing machine breaks, we're angry, we're upset, we're disappointed with, uh, I don't know, Hot Point or whoever else makes your washing machine. And uh, I think there's a huge amount of, of um, gratitude that's gone missing in our lives grateful for the fact that we can even find food uh where we look into our history and actually there's been a a long time ago people had to find food to survive can you imagine that yeah it's interesting isn't it that difference between missing those small things that we might not have like the washing machine breaking instead of appreciating the few things that we could have and actually you know, much happier is the man who's got fewer things but is appreciating those things as opposed to the person who's got lots of things and is now cross because one of those many things isn't working for whatever reason. Yeah, probably because they've neglected to look after it, I suspect. But <laughs> I, I imagine you're right. And, and I was smiling when, when you were talking about us being warm and, and clothed because I'm still stood here outside this MOT centre uh, and it, it, it's just a few days before Christmas and in the scheme of things, it's not bad at all. But actually, I, my hands are getting cold holding this microphone. Um, George, tell me about where the next place is you'd like to go that you've never been to. Well, hats off to you, uh, Simon, for uh, for your resilience and uh, <laughs> your bravery. Uh, your hands will be warm soon enough, I promise. Just don't let frostbite nip it get in there. So what what's next, you ask? Um, on the adventure world, I've got some you know, very lofty ambitions. Um, let me start there, maybe. We know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the Arctic Ocean in winter. Um, yet, there's, yet the Arctic's a key barometer to the health of the entire planet. And I, we, a team of um, people uh, and I funded an, this expedition pre-COVID and it can, got cancelled because of COVID. And I'm still very passionate about that. And I would love to help uh, us as a, as a species, as humans, understand the Arctic Ocean in winter more than we already do. Uh, Not only because I'm fascinated by it, not only because I think it's a beautiful and spectacular place, most importantly because it is 
paramount for every single one of us that we uh, can reverse this imbalance of knowledge about our this key barometer, this the, the freezer, the cooling mechanism to our planet uh, before it's too late, before we walk through these one-way doors and they close behind us and the and we are set onto an irreversible warming uh, pattern for our planet. So that was what I'd love to do. So if anyone out there is keen to fund such an expedition, please do get in touch. I also, uh, I mean, what's next? I've got some smaller expeditions sailing around the UK, getting people involved, interviewing, podcasting and talking to them. So that's what's next on the adventure side, I think, I hope. I'm training to become a coach, um, so qualification there and using all those skills to help young people and indeed adults uh, you know, unlock their true potential um, using some of the skills and the knowledge that I've developed over the last 20 years of uh, outdoor um, uh, enthusiasm. So that's my coaching vertical. And then my sort of speaking and relationship with schools. I'd love to do more work with schools. I love giving talks to schools. I love standing in front of people, uh, making a fool of myself, but engaging them, both parents and young people. Uh, and equally, I also love seeing um, the the turnaround uh, of young people, especially who arrive on a on an adventure camp um, with me, and they are afraid to get dirty and afraid of the dirt. And by the end of it, we've got them crawling through the undergrowth, camouflage paint, doing escape and evade. And learning about the seven uh, the seven S's of uh, concealment. So those are what I'm passionate about, and I hope I can do more of that in the next in the coming few months and years. I love that, George. Thank you for giving us an insight on that. Now we've got a new section here, which is called "Repeat After Me." So I'm going to say the first half of a sentence. I need you to finish it off, or to repeat it, and then to finish it off as well. So here's the first one. One of the most important things for children to do is. One of the most important things for children to do is to ask questions. Oh, tell me more about that. So I think it's so important for young people and adults to ask questions, okay, of themselves, of other people, of the world around them, and be, I love this word, curious. Curiosity is really what drives me. Every day I'm curious about even your story. I want to know more about it because I know, Simon, you've got a story. And the people listening to it have got a story and I want to know about it. I want to learn from it. I want to, I'm curious. But asking questions of themselves, asking questions of the outdoors. And, and sometimes those questions might lead them into something that I'm passionate about, which is the outdoors and reconnecting humans with, with nature. So for me, that's the most important thing is to ask questions. And, and it will lead us, not just young people, but also uh, older people as well, into all sorts of extraordinary places. I love that. George, here's the second one. The reason why most people don't follow their dreams is... The reason why most people don't follow their dreams is fear. Now, fear is a, is a fabulous thing. And I've felt it on numerous occasions, as I think probably we all have. But instead of being s turned away by fear, instead of running away from fear for me my all of my antennas switch on i'm scared therefore i'm alert i'm looking i'm smelling i'm tasting i'm i'm feeling i'm listening everything is alert the dangerous part of this is when you panic when your fear 
goes from being switched on, I'm scared, I'm alert, I'm switched on, to panic, to actions that are irreversible, actions that are, aren't, uh, I want to say properly thought about, but I don't mean the actions that are that are spontaneous and foolhardy and could lead to uh, bad things happening. Kind of um, knee-jerking reactions. A, a knee-jerk. Thanks, Simon. George, third one here, third and final one. The best way to live a fulfilled life is to... The best way to live a fulfilled life is to remain curious. It relates back to the first uh, point that I mentioned about young people and children uh, need to do uh, ask questions. Uh, but genuinely, this applies to everybody. And I think the more curious uh, that, uh, that we can be, the more we can learn about other things and other cultures, potentially, uh, via travel, possibly, perhaps, the more that we can be grateful for what we have, perhaps, maybe, the more we can um, uh, have a better understanding of ourselves, the more we can focus on things that we want to achieve, the more we can fill ourselves with, uh, with interest and intrigue and wonder maybe, and the more potentially we can dream and suppose and uh, be enthralled and engaged by what might happen. Um, and so curiosity for me is just such a fabulous thing. George, I'm keeping an eye on time. We're going to need to bring this to a close. I could sit here and well, stand here and talk to you for, for all day, actually, if we had the time for it. Um, but if anyone's listening to this and they wanted to find out more about you, maybe if they're keen on getting you into their school for some kind of talk for an assembly or anything like that, how could they get a hold of you? Gosh, Simon, that's so kind. Thank you very much. So I, I'm online. I'm uh, all over the web, the interweb. Uh, so type in George Bullard onto Google. Up comes my website. You can drop me an email there or email me directly at uh, speaking at georgebullard.co.uk. And of course, I'm on social media. So if you wanted to reach out on there, I, um, I will respond. So those are probably the best ways to get in touch. That's awesome. OK, well, we'll put a link to all of those in the show notes for this. But in the meantime, George, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us on I'd Rather Be at the Beach. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Stay curious. So you've just reached the end of this episode. If you would like to have a podcast in your school for your own school marketing, then zip on over to www.thebonjouragency.com. We get your school podcast up and running and we keep it going for consistent episodes coming out regularly. But if you don't want a podcast, then you're still welcome here at I'd Rather Be at the Beach because we're just like a big family here. Anyway, the next episode's coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe. It just means that you won't miss it. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.